There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Tuesday, April 19th. Inside the WTOP newsroom, this is a DMV download. Presented by Steamfitters, local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Here are the stories we're working on today. You don't have to wear a mask on Metro anymore, but WTOP's Luke Lukert says there was confusion in the tunnels this morning among commuters. When I got in there, I would say 90% of people were still wearing masks. Is that the land of Oz or a Disney castle I see while driving around the Beltway? Not since the 70s have the doors open to the public at the Mormon Temple in Kensington. WTOP's John Doman tells us what you'll see. This is the first time it's happened in my lifetime. I'm a washed-up middle-aged dad. I've <laughs> never been able to go inside there. So this is, this is your chance to do it. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. Metro stations became underground ghost towns practically when COVID first hit in March of 2020. And for good reason. The widely circulating airborne disease makes going into a a speedy can filled with people less than desirable. But that was more than two years ago. A lot has changed. Today is the first day riders don't have to wear masks. This came after a judge in Florida struck down the federal mask mandate on public transit. And WTOP's Luke Lukert is here. He spoke with riders during the morning commute about this rule change and what it means to them. So first off, Luke, did people even know it was optional to wear a mask today? On my ride into work today, there were still signs, even electronic signs that said, you know, federal law requires masks. So did people even know? Yeah, um, about half the people I talked to knew and then the other half did not. Mm. Uh, I actually stumbled upon a gentleman who was not wearing a mask. And so I was asking him about it. He's like, oh, I didn't know that they... uh, (laughs) Rescinded it. I was like, okay. Lucky for you. Um, but the uh, there were signs, and not only just signs that were, you know, pasted on boards or anything like that. There were actually electronic signs that were still saying it. So it was a little confusing, as one writer put it. Though nobody really pays attention to those signs <laughs> anyway. So, well, especially if it's like your daily thing, you're not reading the signs. Like you're just right. going about no. your routine. You know, fades and I was talking to people at like five thirty a.m. So. Uh, They were like 80 percent paying attention to what was going on. (laughs) Did anybody say, I mean, for the more conservative among us, did anybody say that now that the mask mandate is lifted that they didn't want, like they were reconsidering taking Metro because they would want to be more safe? So actually on my ride in this morning, I talked to a woman, Olivia Whedon, and she says that if she had another option other than Metro, she'd use it. I am around like my grandparents who are immunocompromised and... It would not be ideal for me to expose myself to such masses of unmasked people in such a small space. And because people aren't required to wear masks anymore, she's decided that she's going to double mask now. When I got in there, I would say 90 percent of people were still wearing masks. Yep. I I talked to one uh, gentleman who was sitting kind of, you know, spaced out from everybody, didn't have his mask on when I walked up to him, talked to him about it. He's said like i have my mask in hand if it's standing room only and it's like uh it's you know five o'clock and i'm leaving work or six o'clock then i will probably wear it just to be safe but if i'm the only one in a car there's more than six feet i probably will still follow that six foot guidance rule and it seemed like everybody i talked to 
kind of had a, a similar outlook. Uh, one lady said, you know, I, I came down here without my mask because I thought everybody would be maskless. But then I saw a lot of people around me wearing it, so I decided to put it back on. So I had it with me and decided to wear it. Do you think it's it's time that uh, mandates be lifted on uh, public transportation like this? It's a personal choice. So I don't I don't ride Metro. The first time I took off my mask at work, it was like weird. It felt weird to not have it on for a while. So yeah. I imagine if you're just used to doing it, right? It's sort of a feeling like, oh, should I have this on? Should I should I not? You know? Yeah, and it really was the last place where you had to wear masks, um, you know, by federal law. So how did we get here? You know, this decision came in officially with Metro at like 9 p.m. last night. But what mm-hmm. really sparked this change? Was it planned? You know, well, obviously happened? it was that uh, that court ruling. Uh, federal judge down in Florida ruled that the CDC overstepped uh, their authority mm-hmm. and struck struck it down. And the funny thing was it was supposed to end yesterday anyway. But earlier this month, they extended it to May 3rd because they cited concerns about the BA2 mm. variant. and The CDC did. Yes, that the CDC cited concerns about the BA2 variant of Omicron. But, I mean, if you are looking – at the data right now, cases are going up, but still hospitalizations are going down. So, you know, federal judge struck it down and that's kind of where we're at now. TSA said we're no longer going to enforce any sort of mask mandate. And I think very shortly after that, Metro's like, okay, we're, we're on board. We're not going to enforce mask mandates either. New York subway, different story though. Oh, mm. they have to wear them still? They are still having huh. to wear masks. As of right now, that could change very quickly, though. So we've heard from Metro. They're saying officially we're going to go they with— They said officially last night they will no longer enforce any sort of mask mandate on any Metro train, station, or bus. And so one part of the statement that Paul Wiedefeld, kind of general manager, let out, he says, we will continue to monitor the situation as it unfolds. And to me, that says, oh, they're continuing to monitor. So I wonder— do we know if there's any chance they'll bring mask mandates back? Well, it would it would just be interesting because there's a lawsuit on it. And so I, I would assume that that would have to be overturned. Right. So for now, you know, I, I think another federal judge would have to put a stay on it if they wanted to bring that back or higher court right. rules against it, you know, something like that. But for now, I, I don't know how... The TSA or anybody like that can just be, no, no, we're still doing it right in the face of a a federal court order. Well, you probably don't want to take that stand either. I mean, if you're Metro, it's you've got enough problems, frankly. I mean, they're they're in a precarious place right now. Ridership is still quite low compared to pre-pandemic levels. So then to go against what, you know, a federal judge says and what the TSA is saying maybe, you know, isn't the most popular move. I'm very interested to see if today was kind of like, oh, let's kind of dip our toe in the water, see who's going to wear a mask, who's not. And then in two weeks from now, it's going to be about half and half, just like when you go to the grocery store and nobody cares anymore. Right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on it. Luke Lukert, thanks for riding Metro for us today. Thank you, guys. And after the break, we'll talk to John Doman about why we've got to seize our chance to visit the Mormon Temple. What you see from the outside is not what you are going to see from the inside. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. 
For a partner you can trust, who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. The Mormon Temple in Kensington, Maryland is a familiar sight to anyone who drives along I-495. That white marble structure's shiny gold spires rise above the horizon as you round the beltway, and despite its towering presence, what's inside the temple has remained a mystery until now. For the first time in 50 years, the church is opening its doors to the public. WTOP's John Doman was one of the first non-church members to set foot inside the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he's here to tell us all about it. So first things first— why were the doors closed to the public for so long, and why are they opening them now? Because it's just that temple is a, a place of special meaning. It's a, it's a spiritual place, and if you're not in good standing, in a certain standing, you're not allowed in. You have to have sort of like a certain level of devotion and uh, status inside the church at the moment to get inside. So once they dedicate the church again come August— This will be the last time for a long, long time again. And so right now we're kind of in this like middle ground between dedication, you said. And is that why members of the public can come in? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So they they started a renovation project a few years ago. It only took them about a year and a half to complete it. And by July of 2020, they were ready and expecting to open their doors to the public again. Of course, that was right in the midst of a pandemic. Right. And so, honestly, they've been waiting all that time just to get to this point in the pandemic where they can invite the public in. Because they're they're expecting hundreds of thousands of people over the next several weeks and months Mm. to come in there. And we'll get to how you can get tickets and how you can see it. But first, I just wanted to get your thoughts when you walk through the doors that have been sealed for five decades. I mean, to anybody who wasn't a church member, what did you see? I mean, what does it look like inside? So, okay, the very first thing you see— is a hallway because you go across this glass-enclosed bridge to get from the vestibule of the church that you walk into to the actual main temple area. And it's much smaller on the inside than what you would expect when you see it on the outside. I got the feeling that most of the public's not going to see the the meeting room at the very top floor, but that's the closest you get to— like a, a grand church-like setting, and, and the maximum occupancy sign on there said 800. Mm. So what you have more of is just a bunch of little rooms on some floors sort of surround what they call the celestial room, which is like their, their most important one inside the temple there. It's a very large room, and it's supposed it, the, the, the intent is to lift your, your view toward God, to lift you up. It's very quiet in there. You are not going to hear a lot of noise. There's so much carpeting throughout there designed to just sort of tamp down the sound and and allow you to sort of have your thoughts there with God or, or, you know, whatever you're supposed to be doing inside there. And so I'm really curious about the functionality of these rooms. Are people worshiping in these rooms? Are services held here? There's worshiping, yes, but services, not, not in the traditional Sunday services. In fact, the one day out of the week that the temple is never open for anybody is a Sunday. Like, they don't have the traditional Sunday services there. That's, they have other churches around the area. The crude analogy that they kept giving was it's almost like the graduate school. Like, it's the step up from just mm. your traditional basic services. So you'll have weddings there. You'll have 
lots of significant religious events there, mm-hmm. but it's not where you go for your just your Sunday service. You know, you go to Sunday mass at any cathedral, there's going to be, you know, 8, 10, 12, that kind of thing. Not the case at all here. So no stained glass, you know, none of that? So there's some stained glass along the spires. You can kind of see it from the beltway. Mm. But what's wild is those spires where the stained glass is, those are stairwells. Really? That's what we were walking up to get from floor to floor. So when you see the big columns sticking out on the corners, at least on the two that were probably closest to the beltway, you're just walking through stairs there. Wow. Okay, so obviously there was a huge amount of importance that was put into creating this beautiful structure. I mean, nobody can say. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. But did they talk about the, you know, the importance of the structure kind of mirroring the faith? It's where they go to sort of connect with God and, and their faith. The whole point of that glass-enclosed bridge that I mentioned earlier, that, that tunnel bridgeway sort of thing, like that is their living metaphor, I guess, of leaving the rest of the world behind. All the commotion that has been uh, out there in the world, and you cross over the bridge into a place of peace, and you're paying attention to God and putting your full focus on God and trying to uh, come closer to His peace. When you first arrive, are you, I mean, what can people expect? Are you met with a tour guide? Like, do you have to, you know, cover anything, or how does it work? Yeah, so there will be people there by the door to the vestibule, and they will have these little plastic things like you'll just stick your foot out, which is kind of awkward because, you know, <laughs> I just don't feel like I should be making somebody else do this. But right. but they're doing this just to be nice and, and to keep the, the place clean. So they'll slide these plastic things over your shoes and mm. then and you walk inside. It's just like what the cable guy or a contractor or, or somebody coming to your house for a house call will put on their shoes just as, you know, a, a symbol of trying to keep your house clean and not muddy it yeah, up. It's respectful. And I'm yeah. sure with the number of people they're expecting oh, yeah. to come through, sure. that's a big carpet cleaning bill. I mean, it, it makes sense, but somebody is there to, to do it for you. Like they have a huge just brigade of volunteers ready to welcome you and open the door, li- literally open the doors for you and, and treat you as nicely as they can. These members who were giving you a tour of their temple, their space, what were they like? Were they excited to show you this place that they know has never been you know, shown to the public? What was that like? There is an enormous amount of excitement coming from everybody who's involved with the church about opening this up. I mean, they, they know that there is, you know, I, I guess a solemnity to it that once they have the dedication ceremony in the middle of August, like that'll be it. But for this moment, this allows them to sort of share their faith, share what they have going on inside there. And they are thrilled. They want as many people as they can to come through there. Mm. You know, they have this the next couple of months set up for for public tours, but they purposely built enough space in the idea that they have more time to add on if the demand is still high. Did you get the sense at all that they are hoping that, you know, the interest in the structure will lead to an interest in the faith, that they are excited to possibly add more members? They're opening the doors to share share the temple and share their faith, which comes with it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And this was their chance to just kind of fully explain what they believe. So, yeah, you, you can expect some of that. They're they are going to tell you things about their faith and about why certain rooms matter and, and, and the meaning behind it at all. And Obviously, you can't separate one from the other. I mean, the whole the whole place has meaning and you want to know why it has meaning. So that's part of it. Right. They built that temple for a reason. Yeah, you have to be steeped in the faith to get inside there, 
there's a reason for that. Like it's it's not because it's like a cool kids club. They're keeping everybody else out. <laughs> it's there's meaning to it. And if you're going to go inside and tour it and visit, you have to understand the meaning. And the idea of this is you don't have to pay to to go inside, but you do have to reserve a time essentially. So it's not just. I'm sure COVID is is in the thought process there. Yeah, there is some of that. You can wear a mask in there if you want. You don't have to. The, the tours are generally not necessarily guided or anything like that. You know, when, when the oh, pub- really? Yeah, when the public shows up. So there will be a path and, and there will be signs and QR codes maybe and, and just kind of, you know, an explanation in each room as to why each room is there, why it's important, what matters about it. There are six floors and, and you basically... It's symbolic that you start at the first ordinance, which is baptism, and then you go up to further instructions, which are held uh, on the instruction room, and then the highest level, if you will, is when people go to the marriage or sealing room where those ordinances are performed, where people are married not just for this life, but for the eternity. But it's kind of just you go in there and you can kind of take your own time to pass through everything. Well, you just went to the place that was so steeped in mystery what thoughts were you left with once you exited this place that had been guarded for so long? Well, I mean, yeah, it felt like I had seen something I, I wasn't supposed to almost. It was. Well, you couldn't take pictures either, right? Right. No, <laughs> you are not allowed to take pictures on the inside. Probably the thing that, that was the most striking to me, and I know it wasn't necessarily the most important room, there is a, a baptismal room on the first floor of the building. And, and, and again, that is symbolic as well because, you know, you start with baptism. So they're on the first floor building all the way up to the top. Ah. It harkens back to to biblical times, what the baptismal font of Solomon was supposed to be like, and they have this this pool that is there full of water, and underneath it are twelve oxen, or you know, statues of oxen, not not real oxes, obviously, <laughs> but yet it's um, really a magnificent room. Like I said, it, it, it's not what you would expect a temple or a cathedral to be like. What you see from the outside is not what you were going to see from the inside. Awesome, John. Thank you for joining us and, and kind of giving us the, the inside tour. Right, exactly. Yeah, hey, you'll probably kick yourself if you don't check it out at some point because you got the next couple of months to do it. And then, I mean, this is the first time it's happened in my lifetime. I'm a washed-up middle-aged dad. I've never <laughs> been able to go inside there. So this is this is your chance to do it. Like, this, this might be the only chance in a lot of people's lifetimes. Mm. And it, it's just one of those only-in-D.C.-type curiosity things. Totally. And Megan, before we go, we got to talk about Surrender Dorothy. So this phrase was written on a bridge just behind the Mormon temple. So oh, as yeah. you drive down I-95, you'd see it. Do you remember hearing I about do, that? No, I remember seeing it. Yeah, it was it was like spray painted on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was spray painted on a bridge owned by CSX, you know, the train company. Uh-huh. And it was written there all the way back in the 70s, right in the years after the Mormon temple was built. And so that's why some people kind of thought it was the Emerald City or like the Land of Oz. Because <laughs> as you're driving, it really is pretty amazing. As you're driving the Beltway and it sort of curves up, you see it rise from the horizon. But that's exactly also when you'd see the bridge, was yeah. like right when you're coming up on it. And it was it's crazy. And it comes from the phrase from when the witch paints Surrender Dorothy in the sky with her broomstick in The Wizard of Oz, the movie. And apparently then it was like this crazy, cool special effects in like 1939. But it's no longer there. No. So Maryland State Police thought it was correctly. It was a distraction for drivers. So they would wash it off and it would come back. And this unknown artist 
would paint it time and time again. Anyway, that's where the Oz analogy comes for the Mormon Temple. There you go. There you go. A little bit of DC trivia if you are going to see the Mormon Temple. It's true. Probably don't bring it up, though. Yeah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> anyway, that's our show. Thanks for joining us for the DMV Download, sponsored by Local Steamfitters 602. This show is produced by me, Megan Cloherty. And me, Luke Garrett. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab. And our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. You can find out more about the show and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, and online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night, everyone.